The Orioles absolutely had to beat the lowly Nats. And so far, so good with a 4-3 victory on Tuesday night. I'll recap that one. Plus, we'll learn about an Orioles undrafted free agent in Cooper Chandler and take a look at the Aberdeen Ironbirds and how they did in their first postseason game on Tuesday night. That's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Wednesday, September 14th, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we're going to take a look at an Orioles victory as they get back to their winning ways with a 4-3 win on the road against the Washington Nationals on Tuesday. I'll get you the five things you need to know from that one. Then we continue our 2022 Orioles MLB Draft Profile Series. Today, we talk about the first of four undrafted free agents that the Orioles signed after the draft. That is right-handed pitcher Cooper Chandler out of Rice. And his pitching coach from Rice this spring, Coulter Bostic, will join the pod to talk about Chandler's stuff, how he improved when he transferred from Pepperdine to Rice, and how he can help the Orioles system. And then at the end of the pod, we'll talk Aberdeen Ironbirds because they started their high A playoff series on Tuesday night. A tough loss to the Brooklyn Cyclones, but we'll talk about how the Ironbirds failed personally and how they can move forward and hey, maybe bring a uh, little championship to the Orioles minor league system this season. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. Before we get there, just want to thank you for making Locked On Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. The podcast free and available wherever you listen, Monday through Friday, new episode every day. And of course, we're here on the Locked On Orioles YouTube channel as well. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. And we thank you for making Locked On Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. For your first listen today, let's start with an Orioles victory. Orioles 4, Nationals 3, the final score from Tuesday night down at Nats Park in D.C. Game 1 of a quick two-game series in the Battle of the Beltways. And the Orioles take this one. With the win, they get to 74-67 and 67 on the season. Elsewhere, in the wild card chase, the Rays and the Blue Jays split a doubleheader after the Blue Jays won game one of that series on Monday night. You had the White Sox beating the Rockies in their game as well. And Minnesota beat Kansas City. I guess the Twins are still in this playoff race. And then as I record, it's 0-0 between the Mariners and the Padres in the fourth inning. But uh, let's just assume that the Mariners win that game because they usually do. So the Orioles go into Wednesday five games back of the Rays, five and a half back of the Blue Jays, and six back of the Mariners in the AL wildcard chase. But I'll get you the five things you need to know from the Orioles' 4-3 win over the Nats on Tuesday night. And the first thing you need to know is that Ryan Mountcastle's bat is heating up once again. Mountcastle reaching base four times in the Oriole win on Tuesday night. He went two for three with a single, a home run, an RBI, two walks, and no strikeouts for the Orioles, hitting out of the four hole in this one. Two walks, obviously a great number for Ryan Mountcastle, who's been hurt by his free swinging all season. 
But he obviously had a big, big hit in this one in the fifth inning, a solo home run against former Oriole and Mountcastle's former minor league roommate Hunter Harvey, which tied the game at three in the top of the fifth, also dunked in a single later in the game. Again, had those two walks, made a couple of really nice defensive plays over at first base. And the great thing about that home run, he hit the ball the other way. It was an opposite field home run into right field, 102.7 miles per hour off the bat, traveled 395 feet to tie the game off of Hunter Harvey. And listen, Mountcastle had been pretty bad since the All-Star break. A horrid July, a really bad August, but quietly, after his two-for-three night with the two walks on Tuesday, Ryan Mountcastle is now hitting 289 with a 960 OPS in the month of September. His bat is heating up once again when the Orioles absolutely positively need it. He was a big part of the Orioles winning on Tuesday. Second thing you need to know from this one is that, yes, the Orioles got four runs, which was enough to win this game. It was nice to see them score four after being shut out in that crushing 1-0 loss to the Red Sox on Sunday. But the fact of the matter is, the Orioles could have and should have scored many more runs in this game. It shouldn't have been this close, as the runners in scoring position woes continue for the Orioles. The O's go 3-for-15 with runners in scoring position in this game. They were already hitting just 2-12 with runners in scoring position in the month of September. This game will drop that number closer to 200, and it's the O's second worst month in those situations this year. The 2-12 average coming into today's game, courtesy of Nathan Ruiz of the Baltimore Sun, was 25th in baseball in September. Remember the Orioles couldn't buy a hit with a runner in scoring position in April? They hit 169 with runners in scoring position in April. That was worst in baseball. It's almost as bad right now. I mean, they left so many chances out there. The biggest one being leaving the bases loaded in the second inning. They had Nat starter Corey Abbott on the ropes and Anthony Santander, to be fair to him, strikes out on a 2-2 pitch that was clearly low for ball three, and it was called strike three to leave the bases loaded. But still, the O's just got to capitalize on those chances, had a couple in scoring position, had a couple more in scoring position in the fifth, although they scored two in that inning, should have scored more, should have scored more in the fourth inning. They had first and third with nobody out, and Cedric Mullins grounds into a double play. It did score the run to make it a 3-2 game, but it should have been a bigger inning just leaving so many chances out there on the board. And it's hurt the O's. And really the reason it didn't hurt them Tuesday night is because they were playing a terrible Nationals team and four runs was still enough. But this should have been an easy win. And it just was not because the O's couldn't come through with runners in scoring position. Third thing you need to know from this one is that, well, the O's didn't get many hits with runners on second or third. They did get their hits with runners on first or nobody on. Despite the four runs, they came up with 11 hits in this game. And quite frankly, if the O's are going to get 11 hits, I'm feeling pretty good about their chances. When you add in the four walks that they drew and the one hit by pitch in this game, I mean, they had 16 base runners in this one in nine innings. You should be able to score, again, way more than four runs when you do that. But at least the O's were getting on base. And they had guys have big games, talked about what Ryan Mountcastle did. You had two hit games from Adley Rutschman, who had a single, a double, and a walk. You had a two-hit game from Gunnar Henderson, who had an RBI as well. His RBI single in the top of the first put the Orioles up 1-0 as he had a single and a double in this game. You had Austin Hayes 
after a two-hit day on Sunday. He has a two-hit day in this one with a single, a double, and an RBI. Had the go-ahead RBI double in the fifth inning. Hayes had three hard-hit balls, and it was his first back-to-back multi-hit games since July 13th through the 15th. It's been two months since Hayes had back-to-back multi-hit games. I mean, you even had Ramona Rios have a single and a walk in this game. And even Anthony Santander, who went 0 for 5, did have three hard-hit balls as well. So the O's were swinging it pretty well. I mean, Kyle Stowers had a double. Jorge Mateo has struggled, but he did have an infield hit. Seven of the Orioles' nine starters had hits in this game. And again, they didn't get them when they mattered. But at least they're getting on base and putting pressure on teams. You can hope at some point it'll turn into hits with runners in scoring position as well. Fourth thing you need to know from the Orioles' 4-3 win is that Dean Kramer did his job in this game, and he helped the Orioles win, but there was something not right with Dean Kramer in this game. His final line, he goes five-plus innings, allowing three runs on eight hits, just one strikeout to one walk and no home runs. He threw 82 pitches. He came out there in the sixth inning, faced one batter, allowed a leadoff double to C.J. Abrams, and then left the game as Dylan Tate replaced him. Now, he only gave up five hard hit balls in this game, and his changeup looked really good early. And Kramer had a 1-2-3 second that was seriously one of the best innings he's thrown this year. I mean, he just attacked and dominated the Nats hitters. But something changed after that second inning. He gave up two runs in the third. He just wasn't right. He was looking at his hand. They zoomed in on it. It looked like he may have maybe had a blister, not there, but maybe developing a blister on that throwing hand. Something was a little off from Dean Kramer, and he just didn't get the strikeouts in this one. Just seven whiffs on 44 swings, three on his cutter, which is most used pitch, but he was very balanced in this game. Threw five different pitches, 21 cutters, 24 seamers, 16 curveballs, 14 changeups, and 11 sinkers is how Kramer dished out his 82 pitches. But again, you know, even though the velo was up on all of his pitches, including his cutter velo, was up two miles an hour. That thing averaged at 90. He threw it up there at 93 once on Tuesday night. It was a harder cutter than usual. He just didn't seem right. It may have looked like a blister. Again, we'll get more information a little later here, maybe today, but just, just kind of weird, but it was nice to see that he fought through it and got the O's five innings and gave them a chance to win. And then the fifth and final thing you need to know from this victory is that, well, the Orioles' bullpen did it for him, locked it down, gave them four scoreless innings, and all Brandon Hyde used was the three-headed monster in the Oriole bullpen. Really, it feels like the only three guys he trusts out there right now, and they were able to combine for four innings. Dylan Tate, an inning and a third Perfect with a strikeout. CNL Perez, an inning and two-thirds. Perfect with a strikeout. And Felix Bautista, despite walking the leadoff batter in the ninth inning with a 4-3 lead, the number nine hitter, Ildemaro Vargas, he did not have good fastball command of that first batter. Remember, he hasn't pitched in almost a week. He settled things back down, missed the weekend with arm fatigue, didn't look good to that first batter, but locked right back in and went strikeout, flyout, strikeout to end the game, get the save, and corral the win for the Orioles. Tate, Perez, and Bautista combined for four scoreless, hitless innings with four strikeouts, one walk, and only one hard-hit ball allowed between the three of them. It's a great three-headed monster the O's have right now. They need a couple of other guys to step up and join them as trusted relievers, but Hyde was able to go to his three guys to get this win on Tuesday night as the O's take game one 
of two from the Nationals. But here we go from the Major League level to the Minor League level. Next for the Orioles as we continue our 2022 Orioles MLB Draft Profile Series. And today we're going to learn about just one player, an undrafted free agent who the Orioles picked up. That's the right-handed pitcher Cooper Chandler, who the Orioles signed as an undrafted free agent out of Rice after the draft. And joining us to tell us more about Chandler is Coulter Bostic. He was Chandler's pitching coach at Rice this spring. He talks about Chandler's stuff, getting him in after four years pitching at Pepperdine, why his higher ERA doesn't really tell the full story, and how he could help the Orioles moving forward. But before we get to that chat, got to tell you about Blue Chew. Summer's winding down. The nights are getting longer, but the breeze isn't the only thing that's getting stiff. That's right. This episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. And guys, we all know that confidence can take you far in life. That's especially true in the bedroom, especially when it's time to step up to the plate. And that's where Blue Chew comes in. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. The process is simple. You sign up at bluechew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. And the best part, it is all done online. So there's no visit to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in the line at the pharmacy. So if you could benefit from some extra confidence when it's time to perform, chew it and do it. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code locked on at checkout. Just pay $5 in shipping. That's bluechew.com promo code locked on to receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. All right, so we welcome Coulter Bostic into the podcast, former pitching coach at Rice University. He coached Cooper Chandler this spring at Rice. And first of all, Coulter, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, so we have you on, obviously, to talk about Cooper Chandler, who the Orioles signed to an undrafted free agent deal after the 2022 MLB draft. And Cooper, who spent his final collegiate season at Rice this spring after transferring in from Pepperdine. So my first question was, you know, I know he was mainly a starter this spring, kind of what did his role uh, develop into, you know, among that rice pitching staff? Well, the only reason he ever had any relief appearances uh, was simply because he, he knows his body very well. Uh, He didn't quite feel right uh, with kind of just a, a, a lingering forearm issue that he's had over the last couple of years. And when he brought that to our attention, we scratched him from a start. We gave him the time that he needed. And when he was ready, he, he gave us a couple innings out of the bullpen and he, he went and did the exact same thing he's always done. Um, the big thing with Cooper is he is, he's meticulous about everything he does. He's a very mature presence for an athlete. Um, and he's, he's a guy that wants to compete and like you, it's, it's one of those intangibles you just can't really teach. And he, he carries it very well. Yeah, no, for him, you know, he went out to, to Pepperdine and he, he put up some some good numbers out there in four years. I know he, he never really had quite the level of role that he had 
with you guys, but I mean, did he seem comfortable? Because at the very least, I mean, he came back home to Texas to play his uh, his final year of college ball. Oh yeah, no, I mean, he he assumed the role that we needed, and I mean, I feel terrible for the kid. He he pitched way better than statistically or regarding our records reflection. I mean, he he threw phenomenal for for our level for every level. I mean, he competed against some of the best teams in the country, especially early on and just didn't have any of the run support or the defense to, to really show what he was doing. But, I mean, he he really put together a very strong year. Yeah, 71 punch-outs for him and about 64 innings as a weekend starter for Rice this year. Talk to me about the stuff. What does the repertoire look like for Cooper Chandler? So, Cooper has the ability to – like, he's, he's more of a – what I would say, he's an east-west guy. Um, he's got a very strong two-seam sinker uh, for, for his primary pitch that pairs well with a mid-80s slider. So, he can be, he can be low to mid-90s uh, with the fastball run it with the, uh, with the sinker and he's got feel for a really good changeup. Um, it's, it was difficult kind of deciding, Hey, what pitch is he going to utilize more as, as his out pitch? And uh, some days the slider was complete swing and miss other days. The changeup was either swing and miss or just handcuff right-handers. So um, he had, he has the tools to do whatever he needs to do. And um, he actually has his four seam fastball, which he felt more comfortable going glove side or elevated with. It actually has um, an elevated uh, metric package to it that works in that area. Um, so he's he's got a he's got a wide variety of tools that he can attack people with. But also he's a very smart guy. Um, I think college ball, as with a lot of top end pitchers, college ball is actually a hindrance to them because you've got coaches that are calling the game. You've got all these other things like. He can sit there. He can read your hitters. He can understand what he's doing. Second or third time through a lineup, he knows exactly what's going on. He's he's an intelligent kid that'll do very very well. Yeah, and it obviously helps him as well. I mean, you know, he's 24 years old already with with five years of of college ball, and I know uh, the O's didn't even send him to rookie ball. Basically, they they sent him to mm-hmm. low A and, and probably have plans to. I mean, move him up. Maybe not this year because there's only a couple weeks left in the season, but probably next year to advance yeah. him fairly quickly. How much did that help you to, to have a guy on a weekend, you know, who is 23, 24 years old, has been through the ringer that many times? And how did that help your relationship with him as a pitching coach to a pitcher? It was immense. Uh, we we had, I mean, the, the program, when we brought him in, we told him it was, we were rebuilding a program. And so having a guy that had that much maturity and that much experience, it definitely rubbed off on, a, on the younger guys or maybe – I wouldn't say inexperienced, but the the lesser experienced guys uh, for for that. And uh, he definitely started pushing the culture in the right direction for what the expectations were regarding work ethic, regarding desire to compete. Uh, it, It made my job a lot easier. He talked about the stuff. Was that kind of his repertoire when he came in from Pepperdine? Was there anything that was added and and just kind of playing off of that? What was kind of his his biggest, you know, uh, developmental accomplishment in his one year that you guys worked together at Rice? Yeah, well, he kind of had most of the tools in place. It was just a matter of what was the strongest mix? What did we want to do? How did we want to enhance it? Um, he came in with a very specific understanding of, of what his stuff was and what he needed to do to make it better. So um, enhancing more, 
or actually killing vertical break on his on his changeup was a massive improvement that he made. Uh, so trying to get in more of a pure side spin and letting that uh, pitch play, uh, getting a better like more of a mirroring profile off this two seam and his slider. Like it was more about polishing up his stuff. It, there was there was no major overhauls. Um, and at that age, you're not really making big adjustments with guys. You're you're kind of just giving them the freedom or giving more information as to how to how to approach what they're doing. But once again, he's a guy that kind of can handle that for himself. Um, so yeah, really wasn't any any big changes with him when he came in. Yeah, and then with the Orioles, you know, it's interesting. He's in Delmarva right now, so he's he's in a really interesting mix of college guys from this draft, college guys from the last draft, and then there's some 19 and 20 year old kids who are you know coming stateside for the first mm-hmm. time as well. But the Orioles, I know, are, are using a lot of data. And I was just wondering, you know, in terms of, of how much he kind of embraces, whether it be, you know, more simple things like looking at a spin rate or like looking, you know, through these cameras, looking at like precise data for his pitches, how much does he buy into that? Because the Orioles are kind of open to anything, but but very much looking to throw as much data as a guy wants at them, essentially. Yeah, well, so... He's a guy that uh, he can take as much as, you, as you're willing to give him, but he also knows himself well enough to be able to back off and say, hey, I don't need that. I, I want to focus on this, um, which is critical for being able to grow, especially in the professional area. And I mean, I, I know a lot of the coaches and coordinators in the Orioles system. I think he's going to mesh with them very, very well with that kind of like learning environment and the way that they, they approach giving data and tech uh, from analysis standpoint versus performance standpoint. So I think he's going to do really well with that. Yeah. The, the relationships between those guys and, and the younger pitchers have been great so far. And, and the O's have seen mm-hmm. a lot of big development from, I mean, not just their top pitchers, but Michael Elias hasn't drafted a lot of pitchers high. It's been these lower round guys, these undrafted free agents who have kind of turned into, into gems in the system. When, for I, them. when I saw that, when I saw that the O's got Cooper as a, uh, an undrafted free agent, I thought that was a steal. Like there were there were some guys that got got their name plucked in the 20 rounds that I would have had him light years beyond just because of what I know his skill set to be, what I know his presence to be. Um, so, yeah, the, the Orioles, they 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 snuck one out on everyone by getting him as a free agent. So that's kind of the last thing I wanted to ask. You know, I'm assuming he'll probably end the year in low A. Delmarva, the O's will probably send him to high A and hope to get him to double A next year. But as you look at him moving forward, do you see this being a guy, and obviously this is all up to him and the Orioles, but being a guy who stays as a starter as he continues to climb throughout the minor league ranks? I, I believe so. I think he's got he's got the skill set, the mental skill set, and he's got the ability to make the adjustments as he goes. Um, I, before we jumped on this, I was kind of looking at his stats and he got kind of, he off to a, a, kind of a, what I would call a rough start with, with his first inning appearance, but that doesn't make me fearful for him. Like, actually, I think that's probably going to light a fire and he's going to make adjustments and say, what did I do? What did my stuff play like at this level? What do I need to change? I think he's going to be phenomenal no matter what he does. Um, yeah, once it's, it, the ball is entirely in his court and yet, it's not in his hands at all. It's just kind of a matter of whatever the, whatever the dice end up rolling for him. But I think that he's going to give it the best shot. He's going to be, he'll be successful in the Orioles system, no matter what he does. Yeah. Coulter, it's always fun to, to see who, you know, the O's grab as an undrafted free agent, because there, there's a, a little more unknown sometimes about those guys, but also, you know, you are looking at a giant pool of players who aren't drafted and specifically picking out 
two, three, four guys. So you really identified something. So it's always cool to learn more about those guys. And, and thanks for joining us uh, to uh, tell us a little bit more about Cooper Chandler. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me and I'm, I'm wishing him and the, the Orioles the best of luck. So our thanks again to Coulter Bostic for joining the podcast. Of course, Coulter was the pitching coach at Rice last season and worked with Cooper Chandler, who the Orioles signed as an undrafted free agent out of Rice this year. Now Chandler ended up pitching in three games with the Delmarva Shorebirds before the Shorebirds season ended over the weekend. In those three games, four innings, five runs on seven hits, three Ks, and just one walk allowed in his first few professional appearances. And we should see him uh, start the year probably with Delmarva next year and then see how he can climb up the ranks in the O's system. He's a six-foot-two right-handed pitcher who, as we talked about, he spent his first four years pitching at Pepperdine and then was a graduate transfer to Rice for one year, had a 5.09 ERA in 63 and two-thirds innings at Rice this spring with 10 strikeouts and three walks per nine as a starter for the Owls this season. And nice to have Coulter Bostic on to tell us more about Cooper Chandler. But Sticking at the minor league level for the Orioles before we wrap up today's episode, did want to look down at the minor league level because the O's have two teams at the minor league level actually competing for a playoff spot. They got the Bowie Bay Sox, who did lose on Tuesday, but are in the final week of their regular season, trying to fight for a second-half title in the Eastern League that would get them to the postseason. And then you have the Aberdeen Ironbirds, who won the first-half title in the North Division of the South Atlantic League, which qualified them for the postseason. So they have known since the All-Star break that they were going to the playoffs. Now, obviously, this team now, very, very different than the team in the first half that actually clinched for Aberdeen. They still did play well and have a winning record in the second half. But they started off the South Atlantic League playoff semifinals on Tuesday night. It was the North Division final series, best of three in the South Division final series. The other semifinal is the Bowling Green Hot Rods. That's the Rays affiliate against the Rome Braves. That is the, of course, Braves affiliate. But the Ironbirds taking on the Brooklyn Cyclones, the high A affiliate of the New York Mets, and unfortunately dropped game one in Brooklyn by a score of eight to one on Tuesday night. However, they're not done. It's a best two of three series. And after an off day tonight, game two of the series will be Thursday night in Aberdeen. So if you got time and you're in the area, go check out the Ironbirds in the playoffs. If they can win that one Thursday, the deciding game three will be Friday night at Ripken Stadium in Aberdeen as well. But hey, they were in a playoff game. They've got some interesting Orioles prospects. Wanted to treat it like an O's game as well. So let's finish up with the five things you need to know from the Ironbirds' 8-1 loss to the Brooklyn Cyclones in Game 1 of their best-of-three playoff series. And the first thing you need to know, Judd Fabian went yard again for the Ironbirds. I mean, he brought in their only run, a solo home run in the top of the second, which at the time tied the game at 1. And it was a bomb to left field. It's his fourth professional home run since the Orioles drafted him with the 67th overall pick in this year's draft, the right-handed hitting outfielder out of the University of Florida. And he's been such a steal for the O's. You know the story. The O's had a deal with him to select him 41st in the draft in 2021. They had an agreement for around $2 million to take him. The Red Sox, one pick earlier, drafted him anyway, did not come to an agreement with Fabian. He went back to school for one more year at Florida, improved his stats, 
and the Orioles were able to draft him 67th, get their guy, and he's been the fastest riser from this Orioles draft class. Was in the FCL for a couple days, went to Delmarva, dominated Delmarva, and now joins Aberdeen on this playoff push. And listen, for Fabian, it was his only hit of the night. He also did strike out once, but played a good center field in this game, and his bat that thing flies off the bat. And John Mioli had a really good piece in his newsletter, Maximizing Playoff Odds, about how Fabian moved up the ranks so quickly and how he's just so advanced in the Orioles' hitting development system already. It was a great read and gets me really, really excited for Judd Fabian moving forward. Second thing you need to know from this Ironbirds loss is that Gene Pinto was the starter for the Ironbirds. And it wasn't great, but wasn't bad either in this game. If you know Gene Pinto, he came over to the Orioles from the Angels in the Jose Iglesias trade. That was after the 2020 season. And Pinto, who was kind of the Orioles' breakout prospect in 2021 in Del Marva, was just absolutely dominant and moved up to Aberdeen this year. It hasn't been as dominant, but still had a 3.83 ERA did the young right-hander in the regular season. He goes four innings, allowing three runs on five hits, two Ks, a walk, and a homer allowed in this start. Again, wasn't his best stuff, wasn't his worst, a really good Brooklyn lineup he was facing. But, you know, he's a shorter right-hander, but throws, you know, a good amount of strikes. He'll go for some different arm angles from time to time. He's got some interesting stuff. I'm excited to hopefully see him in Bowie next year and see, you know, how real of a prospect he can be for the Orioles. Third thing you need to know from this one is that the other pitcher that Aberdeen used in bulk in this game was not so good. That was Antonio Velez. The left-hander entered in the fifth inning with the Ironbirds trailing 3-1 to one and didn't have his best stuff. In three and a third innings of relief, he allows five runs, four earned on six hits, two Ks, two walks, and two home runs allowed for Velez. Now, Velez was acquired by the Orioles earlier this season, a week before opening day, he was one of the three players that came over from the Marlins in the trade that sent relievers Tanner Scott and Cole Salser to Miami. Now, Velez started the year after the trade in Double A Bowie as one of their starters and pitched pretty solid, but came up with an injury, missed some extended time, and since then, he has been in Aberdeen on a rehab assignment. And it looks like most likely the O's are just going to have him be in Aberdeen on rehab. That may have been his last appearance of the year. They could bump him up to Bowie if the Bay Sox make the playoffs, but just kind of a rough first year in the O's system for Velez with the injury he had, plus the fact that across two levels, you know, he may finish with what he has a 5.60 ERA for the left-hander who has good breaking stuff, throws a sinker, gets a lot of ground balls. And, you know, we'll see what happens for him next year, but just kind of a tough year, tough luck year for him. His first in the Orioles system. Fourth thing you need to know from this one not a uh, banner defensive night for the Aberdeen Ironbirds. They committed four errors in this game. Brooklyn did not commit one. And while it only led to actually one unearned run in this game, that's not great. Isaac DeLeon committed two, Dante Williams one, and Billy Cook one as well. Billy Cook actually got the start at second base in this game. Now, Cook was drafted as primarily an outfielder when the Orioles selected him in the 2021 draft, and Cook, a big power guy in the outfield out of Pepperdine, 10th round selection, actually a former college teammate of Cooper Chandler, who we were just talking about, but he did play some other positions in college and can play the infield. The O's played him there. He made an error on you know a potential relay that gave 
Brooklyn a little league home run, but he's got some good pop. I like him as a prospect. Just not a good defensive night uh, for the Ironbirds. And the fifth and final thing you need to know, yeah, Aberdeen only had one run on five hits in this game, but Heston Kerstad was their one and only player with a multi-hit game, and that is always something to cheer about for this team. Had two singles and a two-for-four night with a strikeout. And listen, it's been another tough year for Heston Kerstad. Looked like he was finally healthy and ready to play in a professional game. Finally, after the Orioles took him with the second overall pick in the first round of the 2020 draft out of Arkansas, the big power-hitting outfielder, but he deals with the myocarditis, and he has to miss all this time, and then he sustains that hamstring injury in spring training and misses a few months at the beginning of the year. Finally, the O's get him to Delmarva. He dominates Delmarva quickly, moves up to Aberdeen, and then had his struggles, don't get me wrong, in Aberdeen. But despite a 233 average and just a 674 OPS in the regular season in 43 games with the Ironbirds, he is now hitting 314 in September with Aberdeen. That is a big-time positive to finish the season for Kerstad. You would think most likely he starts next year at AA Bowie if all is healthy, and he kind of starts to regain his form as a top Orioles prospect from there. But the Ironbirds lose Game 1, 8-1 to again off tonight, and they are back home for Game 2, trying to keep their playoff hopes alive on Thursday night. We'll keep you updated here on the pod with how the Ironbirds are doing in the postseason and if the Bay Sox can get into the playoffs as well. But that will do it for today's episode. We will be back with you tomorrow, of course. We'll recap game two between the O's and the Nats, hopefully talking about a quick Orioles two-game sweep. We'll continue with our MLB Draft Profile Series and get you all you need to know in this Orioles playoff chase. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.